Hey everybody and welcome back to Popcorn Prattle. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Marcus Sally, executive producer of Shenanigans Incorporated and one of the co-creators of Popcorn Prattle. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We are but a humble podcast that enjoys talking about movies, not in a pretentious way, but as if you just saw a really good movie and now you want to talk about it with your best good buddies. As always, I am joined by my best good buddies. Let me introduce you to them. You know them. You love them. It's the man. It's the myth. It's the legend. It's Mr. Stephen Bailey. Stephen, say hi to the folks at home. Hi, fellow prattlers. And of course, you know her. She's the ever so lovely, the ever so talented. Yo, it's Miss Lindley Key. Lindley, say hi to the folks at home. Welcome, foolish mortals. <laughs> Jesus, web, Lindley. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's August. It's time to start planning for Halloween. I, yeah. I second this motion. Yep. Yeah. It's, also, it's almost the it's 50th still... anniversary of the Haunted Mansion, so I've been in a mood. Oh. Also, <laughs> okay. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is coming out. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'm excited. It is. I, so I hope it's, um, I hope it's good. Um, I do, too. I'm... I'm not crazy about the concept they've taken with it, but I, it's Guillermo del Toro. I trust him. I trust the material because I grew up with this book. Right. So we're, I, we just have to see. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to, I think it's going to be absolutely bonkers in the best ways possible. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Um. I mean, I feel like, I feel like horror movies have, gotten stronger in recent years they really Um, have yeah so i i would not be surprised if this is legitimately scary um i i like i said i'm just i'm just hopeful and i think it's just because um you know i've grown up with it just like you guys did uh but i'm just i i guess i'm trying to keep my expectations low um, just because if I, if I have these lofty ideas like, oh, they can do this, they can do that, I'm just going to disappoint myself. Um, but if I just go into it wanting to have a good time, wanting to just enjoy whatever Guillermo del Toro comes up with, I feel like the movie's going to be so much stronger for it. Um, right. cause I feel like right. sometimes we psych ourselves out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, audience, we have a very exciting show for you. Tonight, um, we are talking about Hobbs and Shaw. We're going to talk about some Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we have some Netflix picks where we are going to tell you guys all about what we're watching on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all that other good stuff in hopes that maybe you, uh, this weekend, um, maybe you're looking for something to binge watch, and guess what? We're going to let you know what our top picks are, and then you can let us know if we were right or wrong. But I mean, of course we're right, because we're awesome. Um, (laughs) If you do find that you do like the show, before we begin, uh, I encourage you to do this for me. I want you to go on iTunes, well, Apple Podcast, I want you to go on Spotify, I want you to go on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, go every place that you can absorb a a good um, a good podcast because we're most likely there. And what I want you to do is I want you to hit that subscribe button. I want you to hit that like button. I want you to hit that share button. If you're on Smash Apple it. Podcasts, go ahead and give us uh, a good review. 
um, because the more reviews you guys give us, the higher we are um, in the rankings and then more people can see our show. So we do ask you this. If you enjoy the show and you want more people to listen to it and you want them to enjoy it, I want you, again, to go on Apple Podcast and I want you to let everybody know that Popcorn Prattle is indeed the Film Talk podcast to listen to. You feel me? Of course you do. Um, guys, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to dig right into this. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's prattle. Um, so first off, for a little nugget uh, to open up the show, uh, Andy Serkis has just been announced to be directing Venom 2, um, the surprise box office smash <laughs> of 2018 um, in the Venom. year of Spider-Man. Um, I feel like it was just, I feel like, I feel like, that's what I feel that movie had going for it. It was the year of Spider-Man. Spider-Man was killing it all last year. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they just, I feel like part of it was they rode that momentum. Um, I finally have stars, because of course I'm a Sassanac now. Yeah. So I had to catch up on Outlander. But <laughs> they, but... I can watch Venom. T- I can watch Venom on demand. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I still need to. <laughs> but um, apparently, I guess it for the general public, it was not that bad. It was enough to get it a sequel, right? Um, for and some now, <laughs> hey, I, did you did you watch it? No, but see, I'm the opposite. I did not hear good things about it. See, I I didn't hear good things from like my friends. It was more of like just internet buzz, really. Um, that there was a, there was a group of people that really enjoyed it, and they were very vocal about it. Um, and again, so they got a sequel, and now Andy Serkis is directing it. Personally, if I'm being quite honest, this makes me want to see Venom too. Like, this makes me want to go to the theater to go see it because, guys, this is a motion capture this character. And you have the king of motion capture directing it. I mean, the guy, I mean, besides just motion, just besides just his motion capture uh, abilities, Andy Serkis is a phenomenal actor. Okay. That this this guy will know how to tap in deep into a comic book character that can have a lot more nuance um, and a lot more flair to him in a sequel, which, from what it sounds like, um, is going to be Venom uh, facing off with Carnage. I don't know. I, I'm liking it. What are you guys thinking? I'm thinking this is a waste of Andy Serkis. How is this a waste of Andy Serkis? Because I just feel he's so much better than this. Why? Because he's so much better than Venom that's, 2. That's not a reason. That's like Steven I'm... telling me the names of the Cats characters. <laughs> acting like that was a synopsis. But just... Marcus, couldn't you follow along? No, McCavity. I couldn't. You just said no. We are, not, we are not talking about cats again today. I just stopped having nightmares about that hellish trailer. So we're gonna talk about a, another hellish thing and keep talking about Venom. Oh, uh, hellish! Is, oh, that's hard. <laughs> okay, it's not hellish. I just felt like being dramatic. <laughs> no, it, it is hellish. I, I, I it is hellish. Um, it we, is none of us have nightmare. seen it. We don't know if it's hellish or not. 
Back to Venom. Back to Venom. That's what I'm. Oh, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Oh, you're talking about cats. No, cats is hellish. No, no, no. Steven, you were in the right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just feel like he, he has so much potential. What? Come. On. Yeah, Venom does have so much potential in his hands, in Andy Serkis's hands. Come well, on, Lindley. This is a great character. And you need a character actor to yeah, direct Venom that. is a good character. Venom is a great character. But I don't trust him in the hands of Sony. I mean, we didn't trust Wonder Woman in the hands of, of Warner Brothers. And yet, that was that was the smash hit then, of their then cinematic I am universe. Waiting, then I am waiting to be proven wrong. I want them to prove me wrong. Sony, I triple dog dare you to prove me wrong. <laughs> and this is genuine. Like, I don't want these things to fail. I don't right. want Venom to fail. I don't want things like the DCU to fail. I want to be proven wrong. But both the way, the track record of things now... Mm-hmm. maybe partially living in New York for five years I'm, I'm becoming a cynic and I don't like it <laughs> well Stephen what about you because you're I know you're a big Andy Serkis fan of his work I have some thoughts um, so back in the day Andy Serkis actually wrote a book called Gollum how he made movie magic And he basically described his whole process for what he took to the character uh, of Gollum and how he broke it down into that sort of uh, split personality. And, I mean, I think that translated very well when he did Gollum for Lord of the Rings. And then even, I think, I would even go so far as to say he even did it better in The Hobbit. Um, So he really understood that dual personality thing. And what is Venom if not that? I mean, you've got Eddie Brock and then Venom. You have that dual personality. And I feel like, you know, you look at his... um, uh, Because he actually did direct a lot of the scenes in Lord of the Rings and then The Hobbit, I think, as like a second unit director. Um, And uh, so he has the experience as a director uh, to pull off those responsibilities. But if anyone is going to understand not just the technology of motion capture, but also of dual personality characters and making each one, you know, equally shine, it's Andy Serkis. Mm. So this is one of those, um, I don't know, in Andy we trust kind of things. Like, I, you know, I didn't actually see the original Venom movie. I heard mixed things about it. I heard some people say it was terrible. I heard other people say it was so bonkers. It was awesome. And then other people just said it was a fun ride. So, yeah, that is on my Redbox list. Having said that, Andy Serkis, I do think, could totally elevate this into something that mainstream people take a little more seriously. So who knows? But that's what I think is going to happen. And we also forget, I mean, all jokes aside with Tom Hardy's... um accent whatever that was that he was doing in the first venom um again i'm i'm solely basing his performance off the trailers um i mean tom hardy is actually a really good actor um he has done some amazing stuff i don't know if you guys have ever seen bronson oh, um, br- oh wait is that the one where he, it's like 
Yeah, I've seen Bronson. He's like he's the criminal. Bronson yeah, is bat crap crazy. Yeah, but he's he's so he's so good in that. Um, With a I remember great him, mustache. I remember him in you know in Inception, and I thought that his character was one of the standouts in that. Mm-hmm. Um, all jokes aside with his, uh, you know, his accent in The Dark Knight Rises, I actually really enjoyed his performance of Bane. Um, so it's not like he, like, that Andy Serkis doesn't have the actor that can pull Venom off. He does. He yeah. very much does. And I think that, and I, there's also rumors that Tom Hardy has assisted in writing Venom too. Um, and it, it, it's all, and that always says something to me, if an actor who really cares about the character, um, if they kind of step in and kind of assist in the writing, um, just because it makes it, you know, that it's, it's lines that they believe in and it's lines that you know, that they, they're going to know how to say these lines. It's not going to be an awkward read. It's not going to be forced. It's going to be, I thought this out. This is how he would say this line. Or this is how this moment should be played out. Um, yeah, I think you got two. You got a character actor director and a character actor at the helm. Um, not even talking about uh, 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 Woody Harrelson as well as Carnage. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Woody Harrelson old, is playing Carnage? Yeah, that's old news. Yeah, he's Carnage. He's Cletus how, Cassidy. How did I sleep on this? Yeah. Why did none of you tell me? What's the post credits? I'm just finding this out now myself. Oh, it's the post credits. Yeah, it's the post. It's the post credits, but like it's like for, (laughs) but like I mean, it was like rumored that Woody Harrelson was gonna play Cletus Cassidy, that he was gonna be Carnage. Uh, Okay. Which I I cannot wait. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot wait for that because he's going to make him so I mean I kind of wish it was Jim Carrey but I feel like then you're getting real dark with Venom if that if you're going to make well it's uh, never going to be Jim Carrey because after Kick-Ass 2 he is like uh, no more violent roles oh uh, yeah we'll see okay okay Jim I'm just, okay James I'm just glad Jim Carrey's still getting work uh, his show Oh, shoot, what's the show on Showtime where he's, like, the Mr. Rogers-esque character on a the verge of a breakdown? I, I don't know. Anyway, well, it got picked up for season two, for, so good for you, Jim Carrey. Oh, wonderful. Good for him. Kidding, kidding. It's called Kidding. Ah. Oh, I thought you were kidding about... No, 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 no. The like, show oh, is called Kidding. Okay. Good <laughs> job. Was... You're so awesome. Just kidding. <laughs> that was a twist. <laughs> kidding, Jim Carrey. You suck. <laughs> um, oh. all right. I'm just kidding. I love Jim Carrey. That was I have, facetious. I have here a movie review for us. Our first movie review of the night. Um, or day whenever you're listening to this, uh, I got a chance to see Hobbs and Shaw. Family. The, uh, the review, I mean, sorry, the, uh, the spinoff of the Fast and Furious franchise. Um. But does it have family? Is it family? (laughs) Let me tell you something. (laughs) Let me tell you something about this movie, Lonely. (laughs) This was, Okay. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what I told my friend at work the other day when we were talking about Hobbs and Shaw. I have never seen family 
so forced into a Fast and Furious movie as this movie. It was like... I didn't even plan that. It was it was incredible. And, and I sat there and it was like... And I told my friend, because I had watched all the other movies, because they were, they were, I mean, obviously there were marathons all weekend. Um, so I got a chance to watch the other movies, um, and especially, like, the big switch when it was becoming more about family. It's all about family. Family. Um, I, you know what I noticed? What did you notice? It's not as forced as what people think. It's more of the scene is framed around, there's one scene in particular in all the movies, post five, right? That focus in on the family thing, the family aspect. But it's only one scene. Yeah. In Hobbs and Shaw, it's the entire flipping movie and it does not work. Um, No. Hobbs and Shaw... For those of you who don't know, just a very uh, quick overview. Hobbs and Shaw is about uh, Hattie Shaw, um, Deckard Shaw's, um, Jason Statham's character, uh, his sister. She has been injected with this virus, of course, um, and she is being chased down by this mysterious kind of like um, uh, terrorist group. Um, that is led, well, and their, their general is Idris Elba's character, Brixton. Um, and so Hobbs and Shaw are called in to find Hattie and basically uh, they're manipulated into bringing her to this terrorist group. Um, the movie itself, I gotta say, I was none too impressed by this movie. And I was, and I, believe me when I said I did not have high hopes for this movie. Um, but it didn't make sense after, after what they've established in the other movies. Um, Hobbs and Shaw, they're fighting throughout the movie, right? Yeah. Which, which you could see in the trailers. And if you have never seen a Fast and Furious movie, that makes sense. But see, because I had just watched uh, Fate of the Furious, they already had a fight. And they already yeah, the like, jail, became right? friends. Right. But by the end of Fate of the Furious, they're friends. So it didn't make sense to me how in this movie, all of a sudden, they hate each other. Um, every Every other line that they have is a joke. And not a good one. Uh. It's very forced. Um, the Rock, he's at his most rockiness in this one. And it is not. <laughs> and, and listen, I love The Rock, but it it was not landing. It was horrible. I sat wow. there. I was like, I was like, Rock, what are you doing? Like you it was it was like old rock, where, you know, he he's a caricature of himself in this movie. That's what it is. So wait a minute. This movie like is just basically rock? the Scorpion King. Yeah. Well, you, both, you both talked at the same time. What did you say, Steven? So this movie is basically the Scorpion King. Yes. Or is it the Tooth Fairy? Mm, it's it's the worst parts of the Scorpion King mixed in with a Tooth Fairy. That's apple. <laughs> Ow. I mean, Ouch. even even to the point where. 
I mean, in all honesty, you know who I really wanted to have the focal point in this movie? Who? It wasn't Hobbs. It was Shaw. I thought Shaw, the Shaw character is was much more entertaining. Uh, he had more motivation to be involved than Hobbs did. I was like, why is Hobbs here? Like, he does not need to be involved in this. Because it was his sister... He was called in to find his sister by his mom, who was like, you need to go find your sister because I'm worried about her. And and the villain has a personal connection to Shaw. I was like, there's no so reason for... why didn't they just make it a Shaw movie? Thank you. I said, like, you should have just made this about the Shaw family, right? Because even the person that helped them, like, find... Uh, like find uh, find uh, Idris Elba's character, who I'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. is connected to Shaw. Like it's his ex girlfriend, and I said, "Why is the Rock here?" Then, y- you know what they could have done, and uh, and Marcus, you're going to be super proud of me. They What's could that? have used this movie as a single Shaw movie, and in this thing, he could have been seeking redemption for his actions like killing the dude from tokyo drift i completely agree and that would have made so much more sense but you know what Lindley? what this might as well have been this was like a netflix marvel movie marvel show oh there was no real connection to the fast and furious franchise okay other than the fact that hobbs and shaw know each other because of dom Gotcha. But like they never, but like he, but like the rocks, like, like we're off the grid. Like I have nobody to turn to. And I'm like, don't you have like a whole crew that you, you spent the past two movies? Yeah. Like you have like your quote unquote family. And I'm like, and I'm pretty sure Shaw was adopted into this family, even though he killed Han um, in the last movie. So again, why are they not helping you? Like, why aren't you calling them for help? Um, I oh. mean, I mean, we know why, because they all hate The Rock. Um, but, no, yeah. <laughs> no, just Vin Diesel hates The Rock. And The Rock I was going to say, no, you know why all... this movie got made, right? Mm-mm, was they because all do. of the, yeah, they don't like, oh. they don't like Vin Diesel. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, they have issues with The Rock. Really? Yeah, it's the whole, it's the whole cast. Most of them oh, aren't dang. as vocal, but Tyrese is vocal about it. Vin doesn't say anything, and Michelle Rodriguez doesn't say much she just makes like kind of like side remarks like she's like it's about family guys and then she <laughs> side eyes the rock um oh dang also but, marcus i am waiting for you to be impressed that i knew that i am i i am i'm very <laughs> impressed with you i would have been more impressed if you had said han but i was still impressed i i, I knew he's from tokyo drift it's ba- baby steps. Baby, baby steps. steps. I know. And what makes me sad about what you're saying, Marcus, is that the marketing was, I thought the marketing was excellent for this movie. It was the mm-hmm. one Fast and the Furious franchise film that I was actually considering going to go see. Because I, I like the trailers. I like The Rock. It looked fun. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be anything serious. But it looked fun, so I'm I, I'm really sad. It, it would have been a lot more fun had the movie not been two hours. You could have wrapped this movie oh, up in ninety wow. minutes. Yeah, I was like, or less. Um, this did not need to be that long. Um, before I get to get, talk a little bit without spoiling anything, the finale. Um, not that I can because they show you the whole movie in the trailer. Um, 
Idris Elba, good God. The whole time I kept wanting, I, I, I literally looked at my dad when we were watching it and I said, I wish that they had saved the Idris Elba character for a Fast and Furious movie. Because that would have been a better, they would have been a better opponent for him than Hobbs and Shaw. Mm. Like, it would have, like, if we took your redemption story, Lindley, yeah. but then put it in, but, like, Shaw has to call in Dom for help, and they spend the whole movie, like, the, like, Dom and, and, and Shaw, like, going head-to-head and not liking each other, that makes sense. But The Rock really doesn't have a reason to hate him other than the fact that he kicked his ass in uh, the seventh movie. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, But Idris Elba was, I mean, his character was so, he made, he, I mean, we're talking about Andy Serkis adding Gravitas to Venom 2. Idris Elba took Hobbs and Shaw to a level that it really didn't need to go to. He was such a good bad guy. Like, when he finally does say the I'm black Superman line, you're like, hell yeah you are, because you've just been wrecking house this entire time. Um, The finale was okay. It was kind of like a Transformers fight. Oh, there was a oh, lot going ooh, on. That's a big insult. And it was like, yeah. And there was like, and the time, there was like, like, it went from being like, you know, like six o'clock, like five o'clock in the morning to being like six o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> in a man in a matter of like 20 minutes. And I was like, why did this happen? Like, Lighting. this did not need that big of an epic fight, especially considering, um, you know, you look at the Fast and Furious movies. The best ending to me was uh, I think it was seven when um, they're literally, like, trying to outrun the drone in L.A. And, like, but, like, they kept, but, like, it went back to, like, their street racing roots. I love that. I love that sequence. This was just so convoluted. Um, This is a definite, like, I hate to say this. Just wait for it to come out on Redbox. Don't, don't go, don't waste your money going to see this in theaters, because... Unless you really want to, unless you're a huge Idris Elba fan. If you're a huge Idris Elba fan, go see it. But if you're a rock fan, this is not the one. If you're a Jason Statham fan, maybe. <laughs> but then again, you're also going to get thrown off because his sister is supposed to be the same age as him, apparently. Uh-huh. And you definitely think they're like, like, oh yeah, she, he's the big brother. And then they do a flashback and they're definitely the same age. Uh, I, I was no. like, no. I'm like, no. that girl's my age. Jason Statham's like my dad's age. <laughs> it's weird. So. Ah, uh, that's my review. <laughs> interesting. Very Indeed. interesting. But guys, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, let's take a uh, bit of a break. And when we come back, uh, let's hit us up with some Netflix picks. Um, we're going to let you guys listen to uh, a new podcast that, you know, maybe you like our stuff and now we have a friend. We want to introduce you to some other stuff when you're done listening to us while you're waiting for us to return. Uh, and then when we come back, we will uh, hit you with some Netflix picks and I'll have another movie review waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 
Ladies, we all know the best part of the day is when you finally get home and get rid of the one thing you've been dreaming of ditching for hours, your bra. If you're like me, sometimes you don't even make it to the front door. Hi, I'm Erin Whitehead, host of the Braless Podcast, where once a week I kick back, relax, and have fun conversations with different guests about all kinds of topics. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join me on the Braless Podcast, unhooked and unleashed. So, guys, uh, audience, if you have never listened to our show, what the heck is wrong with you? Why did it take you so long to come back to us? Um, but if you've never seen our show before, uh, we have this thing called Netflix Picks, uh, where, like I said, we tell you what we're watching on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, all those streaming services, uh, in hopes that maybe you might uh, check them out. Um, so, Lindley, um, you, we're going to start off with you. What did you watch I, uh, first? The first thing I watched was Good Omens. It's Ooh. a new series on Amazon Prime. And it is a, it's based off a story by both Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, who are just masters of the, of the strange. Yes, and it's absolutely. such a good show. And mm. I, I will preface by saying that I'll get into the, the story in a bit, but um, I thought it was going to be a little sacrilegious mm-hmm. because it, it deals with some things, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised on how, you know, like, it didn't take things too far. Yeah. Uh, so, and the reason I say that, the story revolves around an angel and a demon who become reluctant friends because of their love of humanity. The <laughs> angel is played um, Aziraphale, who, like, I, lo- I love Aziraphale so much. Um, he's mm. this angel who dresses all in white. He dresses very posh. He owns a bookshop and he's just, he drinks high tea. And then the demon is played so wonderfully by David Tennant, who is mm. my favorite doctor. It's, it's, their chemistry is so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about these two unlikely friends who have been friends since, you know, the time of Eden. You find out that it's not a spoiler because I seen in the first episode, uh, the demon Crowley was mm-hmm. the snake who tempted Eve to eat the fruit on the okay. forbidden tree. So they become unlikely friends because of their love for the world and humanity. And they find out that the anti the antichrist has come. Oh God! And they they have to stop Armageddon from happening because they know the world is going to end. But they love they love humans and they love the world so much, as flawed as it is. Mm-hmm. And they you know they they try to stop it. Sure. And you would and you think something like that is going to be just kind of like bashing the religion it's based off of. Mm-hmm. But it really isn't. Yeah, I yeah. at least I didn't feel that way, and I appreciated that. And you can you can you can differentiate to feel like okay, this is definitely fiction, but it's also just a really good story mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have the you have the angels, you have the demons, you have these wacky adventures. You actually get to meet the said antichrist and he has an arc and it's a boy mm-hmm. it's a little boy 
And it actually takes things from like the actual Bible that is taught in Revelation. Talks about the four horsemen. It talks about, you know, the Antichrist, you know, being raised in like a seat, like a seat of power. Mm-hmm. And coming to power at a certain time when like all these different conflicts are happening. <laughs> oh, <oof. laughs> I'm sorry, it's getting real in here. Mm. So it actually does take things from the text of Revelation, but make something of it without being uh, like without being offensive. And I appreciate that. And mm. I know a lot of people, you know, they don't share my beliefs, but I was able to look at this for what it was and be like, okay, this is really, it's really clever. It's definitely fiction. Like I was able to, you know, differentiate that, but it's great. And just the acting and the chemistry of the characters are so good that yeah. within two episodes, you were just in love with these characters and the bond that they've created. Mm-hmm. And you see how conflicted like each side is because, you know, Crowley's a demon. He's supposed to be like, yay, uh, Armageddon's happening. And you find out that the angels are there. Be like, this is this is God's plan. Like we, we th- this is war between heaven and hell. We want it to happen because it's God's plan. But then it also talks about, like, yes, you may think you know God's plan. There's a difference between the great plan and the true plan that is unknown. Mm. Because no one really knows what God's plan is. Right. And I was like, okay, I see what you did there. That was great. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I loved it. It's really, and it's quirky, it's clever, there's some great characters in it. Um, yeah, I, I really recommend Good Omens. It's fantastic. Nice. I love it. I, it's on my, it's on my to-go list. Yeah. Um, it, it's on your to-go it's list? Like to-go list, you're gonna, to watch list. You're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> pack, pack up David Tennant and Michael Shane in a little box, take it to go with? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. But it's only it. six episodes. <laughs> Is that common for That's why I was Amazon able to... Prime shows? No, because I feel like Maisel gets a longer run than that. Let me check this out. Because I, um, I don't know, because uh, the other show that I'm going to talk about, that was only eight episodes long. Um, but I know on Netflix, they seem to be going for shorter seasons um, just to make them a little bit more bingeable. And I guess, and I guess it also cuts down on production costs because you're only making x amount of episodes true um a season as opposed to like 12 or something um but yeah steven while Lindley's finding that out um tell tell us about your pick guys dairy girls (laughs) i'm telling you you gotta watch it Mm. did a new season come out because you've talked about this before yes season two has just hit and uh like the show you were talking about uh, Lindley, this one is also only six episodes long. My goodness. Uh, it's very, very quick to binge. Now, I think part of that might be just because it is, um, it is from the UK, but it's on Netflix. And guys, this show is so amazing. Like, this is high school drama done right because it's hilarious in how messed up these these kids are 
and how dumb they really, how dumb they are in thinking they're really going to get away with all their choices. Oh, man. Um, Like a, yeah, just a refresher. The show is, it basically follows these high school uh, girls at a Catholic school uh, set during uh, tensions of Northern Ireland in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, season two picks up pretty much right where uh, the last one left off. You know, not much has changed, uh, with one exception. This this season uh, kicks off with Catholics and Protestants actually uh, making, like, peace agreements to come together. So they basically go to this retreat to... Um, reach out to the uh, Protestants. Uh, but then as soon as they get on the bus, they reveal that they just want to bang the Protestants. Oh. And they don't know how to actually talk to them. So, like, literally one girl, Aaron, goes up to this guy. She's already made a bad impression with him. And she's at a party. She's like, okay, so let's do this. Just so you know, I don't know any moves. So just, like, do what you want. Or, or I'll do whatever you want. Just, just, just do it. And the poor guy is just like, what is happening? <laughs> They're just so dumb. <laughs> but, but, um, the character, there are several really great standout characters for me. Um, the one that stands out, uh, is sister Michael. She's the head, uh, of the school that they go to, uh, a nun and she is literally like so done with everything. So every time anyone gets up on stage and says, we're going to serve God, Sister Michael will just be standing in the back going, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of really great episodes this season. There's a, uh, an English teacher who comes in trying to do the whole dead poet society with them. And Sister Michael's just kind of like, oh, here we go. um there's another one where they they uh try to ditch school to go to a concert or something and um but there's also a polar bear that escapes uh from a zoo and so they get uh it cuts to their parents a lot too like their parents are equally hilarious um their parents are all worried that they don't know where the girls are and that there's a polar bear on the loose and someone knocks on their door and then one of them's like, Oh my God, it's the polar bear. And then the father's like, yes, because right before they eat you wide open, they like, they knock politely on the door. <laughs> just, it's so hilarious guys. Um, the, the standout episode I think is the very last one, um, which, is a really good episode. I won't I won't get into spoilers, but it really is great. Like um, the dynamics between all the characters, because um, it's hilarious and it's in it's and it's very funny. But it really does kind of capture a lot of '90s culture too. Like they're going to see movies in the '90s. They're using '90s slang. I didn't even realize that uh, class was a slang word. But anytime they see something really cool, they're like, oh, that is so class. And um, it's it's a really great show. I, I cannot recommend the show enough. It's really good. If you just, like, literally, you can binge a season in, a, in like, a three-hour setting. Because they're only, like, 24 minutes long. Um right. If you just want, like, I need something to just laugh my ass off with and fall in love with these characters, this is the show for you. It's, and I'm going to call it an underrated gem because uh, me and Anna only discovered it by accident. Like, it was just on 
uh, Netflix, but I haven't seen any advertising for it. Um, but it really does like, like I'm going to put it up there with, um, probably one of the best comedy shows I have ever seen. Oh, wow. Like it's really, really funny guys. Yeah. Really good. Watch it. We'll have to check it out. Um, speaking of Netflix, uh, my pick just had its final season, Orange is the New Black. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have got to say, guys, this was, it was the, it was a perfect way to end the series. Um, I, I laughed, I cried, mm-hmm. and the thing that got me the most, um, and I don't think this is, spo- I don't, this isn't really spoiling anything. Not everybody has a happy ending. No. And I think that was important to see in a movie, in a, sorry, in a show like this. Um, that the system is broken, first and foremost. Um, and that there are a lot of things that are going on right now that need to get a lot more attention than what they're getting. Even though people might say it's getting enough attention, I don't think it's getting enough, um, personally. But that's just me. Yeah. That's just sipping the tea a little bit. Um, but with Orange New Black... We start to see uh, three different settings. We actually see um, Piper's life outside of prison. Yeah. Um, we see. Didn't hate Piper life. so much this season. No, remember. Well, remember Piper gets better in the last season. Yeah. Um, once she finally asked the question, like, "Why do you guys hate me?" It was like, "Thank you, thank you for finally asking it. It only took you X amount of time." <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't remember how old was it? Like a two years she's there? She's been there? Was yeah, she I there? think so. Okay. Um, then we, we do go back to Max. Um, because that's a new setting, which again, I feel like that helped out a lot with, uh, with the show and kind of revitalizing it. Cause we were finally in a, in a place outside of just Litchfield. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, there's a new, uh, place that's introduced, uh, which is an ICE detention center. Um, and so we get to see kind of the conditions um, in with that's going on with that, um, as well as um, the treatment of women yep. in all three of those places. And one thing, and this really broke my heart, um, we see the treatment of children. Oh, yeah. And I... And listen, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to get political, but um, all I'm gonna say is the orange and the new orange new black uh, writers. From what I understand, from because I I mean I don't know personally, (laughs) but from what I understand, they do do a lot of research when it comes to that type of stuff. And again, I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna say this: if that's what's going on. We are not making enough noise. No. Because you cannot, I I challenge you to watch that scene and not have your heart break. There is a scene where, there's a deportation scene where you see all these women and they're they're going back to their um, countries. And it was a wonderful, I thought it was a wonderfully shot scene where, you know, as the music's playing, one, one woman goes away. 
two yeah. women disappear, another woman disappears, until it's just one. And then rather than seeing her get off the plane, because I'm not going to say who it is, but rather than see her get off the plane, um, she also kind of fades away. And you never hear about her again throughout the series. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was a very, very touching moment. I thought that was handled very tastefully. Um, I don't, I honestly don't feel like there was anything overly political about it. Um, and I feel like that's the argument that people always make. They're like, oh, everything's got to be so political. I think it's just people don't want to deal with honesty. No, it's just how it is. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I, and I applaud Orange and New Black for being so honest, for saying that the, the system is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we are not treating these, these, these prisoners the way that they should be treated. They are still human beings. Um, and like I said, I I was I was bawling at the end. I was laughing. Um, there's a moment at the end. Oh my gosh. Um, somebody finally, 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 finally um, succeeds. And my heart just cracked open. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah. this. Someone who deserved to succeed too. Yes. Um and in some people, you know, there was there were there were a number of tragic endings where again, it's just like it was like if you just held on for just a little bit longer. Yeah. Um and again, I'm not going to say who because if oh. you if you even have seen like a one episode, you're probably thinking of a different person. <laughs> yeah. Um because and, and that and that person's um uh and I and I mean I I mean I'm not going to say her fate but Tasty's arc that oh. woman can act. I'm oh so my god. Glad I saw her in much ado. She is so wonderful. Um and and oh my god and then uh Uzo got to sing. Mhm. And she sings the Mountain Dew theme song <laughs> and it was it was so good. It was perfect. <laughs> like, I I sat there. I was like, I was like, I was like, really? Like, like that's what she's gonna sing? But then it was like, it was perfectly fine. It was it was more than fine. But then, uh, I, but then there are okay. some endings, and again, I won't say who, that are yes. horrific. Mm-hmm. That are absolutely horrific. Like you think it's gonna go somewhere with this person, and then the story just ends, and you're like, oh. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. awful. It, it's yeah. great, but oof. Yeah. Well, you know, I... that kind of reminds me, because, I mean, that was a theme in the book, the original book that the show uh, was inspired by. Um, uh, when she went to prison in real life, she was just alarmed at how uh, prisoners were treated, um, especially in her case when, you know, she was just trying to do her best to serve her time and get out. Um, and just, she kind of described the inhumane conditions. Um, so I think that could also be expanding on something from the book a little bit too. Yeah. It, it definitely is. I, I mean, I've, I love the fact that it, I love the fact that the series did go away from Piper's story. Oh, I'm so glad Piper's the worst. Yeah. She, (laughs) I mean, comparatively, she has the most boring story. Yeah. Um, although she did have a moment too, where I was like, "What are you doing, Piper? Like you're fine. Like you're you're 
out now. Do better. Yep. Um, but it's Piper. But, she has to have at least one of those moments per per season. Yeah, I mean, personally, I mean, I have the, I have the, I think. And to I think, me, uh, she ended in one of those. Yeah. Moments. I I agree with um, I agree with the uh, the husband character, uh, Jason Biggs character, who's basically just like you're bored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's really what it boils down to. You're bored and you're scared to you're scared that you are you have such a good life that you're boring. Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of people do that. Um, that their lives are just so perfect that it's they find it boring and they they cause trouble. They cause drama just to just to have that excitement. Yeah. Um, but I, get over yourselves. <laughs> there are people who would kill to have that life, and a number of them are in this show. Um, but yeah, Orange New Black, go go watch it. It's still it's not five it's not five episodes. Um, it will take you the entire weekend. Um, there are some episodes that are a little boring, but uh, you get to see everybody again. Every everybody. Yeah, it feels good. Puse cameo, cameo. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> Unacceptable, Marcus. She's dead. <laughs> it's, so it's, it, everyone knows it's a flashback. There you, you go. Puse was. You don't watch, Well, he doesn't watch the show. It's also been a few years since she died. So there you go. <laughs> I would say if it's been at least two years, like spoiler territory is free range. You get a month. <laughs> you get a month in my book. This is, a dis- was- this is a discussion for another time. I, I, go tell us your other pick. Uh, my other pick, surprisingly, is not on a streaming service. It's on mm. NBC. Okay. It which is, can be streamed. Which, which can be streamed, but it, mm. not traditionally. It's not a Netflix. It's not a Hulu. Right. It's not an original. Yeah. Mm. I've been watching Bring the Funny on NBC. It's not something, I'm not a big competition show person. I mean, there are exceptions for me, but it's not something that I typically watch on a regular basis. But I've really been enjoying Bring the Funny. And if you don't Mm. know what that is, it is a comedy competition show. But unlike something like Last Comic Standing, it's not just for stand-up comedians. It's for stand-up. It's for musical comedy. It is for sketch comedy. It's for magic, like magic, magical comedy. It's, I love it. And I love how it's formatted. Mm-hmm. And the host, um, I, I feel so bad. The, the MC, I forgot her name, but she's terrific. But the main host, the main judges of the show mm-hmm. are Kenan Thompson Oh, yeah. Chrissy Teigen and my mom's favorite, Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> and I say that because she's got that is a name she's, I have not heard no, in like she, twelve years. <laughs> I remember she got on TV in Myrtle Beach. There's like a local TV station, and we all went to go see Jeff Foxworthy. And she got on this local TV station, saying her favorite redneck joke. Mm. Which is, and I will quote, you might be a redneck if you think the last four words of the national anthem are gentlemen, start your engines. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not untrue. Uh, but Way to yeah, go, Mrs. Key. They actually have, <laughs> good job, Mom and Dad, because I don't shut them out. And Mr. Key. And Mr. Key. 
I don't want um, you to feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> it's they all have really good chemistry together. And you're you're it's amazing how like serious Keenan is taking this because he'll be taking notes during mm, acts mm. like who's going to get eliminated. Chrissy's having the time of her life. Jeff is, you know, he, he's enjoying every moment of it. But I appreciate that it's not just one form of comedy because mm. comedy is a universal thing. Right. And it includes people that I've been following for a long time. Um, you have one sketch comedy group called uh, JK Studios. They used to be on something called Studio C, which they're a, they're a pretty uh, family-friendly comedy sketch group mm-hmm. um, that they, they've grown so much. And just to see them get such, you know, beyond prime time is amazing. And also a group called the Valley Folk. Guys, if you have not heard of the Valley Folk, please check them out. They're some of the funniest people on the face of the earth. They were, mm. they got, they got big off of a YouTube channel called SourceFed. When SourceFed shut down, they took a couple years and then they regrouped together to form the sketch comedy group called the Valley Folk. And they're amazing. And I'm just, it makes me feel good. Like I've, I've, I've gone to their show and I've met them, but I don't know them personally. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. But to see these people that you've watched for so many years and just have, have appreciated their craft like getting yeah. their time in the sun, it feels so good, and they're doing so well. Mm-hmm. And even even one of the try guys is on the show. Oh, nice! Uh, Keith, he 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 has a comedy band called Lou Burger, mm-hmm. and so they're they're on the show. And so mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. that it works is that all of these groups they come together. The first round was called the open mic, and there's everybody performed, and then they you know cut people they they did some eliminations and so on and so forth but now where they are in the show they're in the what's called the comedy clash and Mm. similar groups will go together so they're not putting like a sketch and a stand-up against each other because that would be that'd be a little weird i think that's going to come later once they really start narrowing it down but they're putting like sketch versus sketch stand-up versus stand-up um they had a, a puppeteer versus a magician and it's just mm. terrific. It's really good comedy. It's pretty clean comedy. Yeah. And it's really nice to see, you know, people, because you can tell some of these people have busted their butt mm. to get to where they are now and to see them get their day in the sun. It feels really good. And a mm. lot of it is really funny. And it just feels good to laugh. And you can tell everybody's having the time of their life. So it's one of those gems of a competition show that make you feel good. Yeah. It's great. I, I really recommend Bring the Funny. That's awesome. Also go check out the Valley Folk and JK Studios and Lou Burger. They're, they're great. I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, my, my final pick is uh, The Boys. Uh, the new Amazon Prime. They've been hyping this show up for the past year it feels like They're, the posters are all over nyc let me tell you something this show lives up to the hype Ooh. by leaps and bounds and no pun intended when i say that <laughs> um so what this show is about is uh basically this guy um named huey um, dewey and louie i'm sorry sure why not <laughs> uh 
he is on the street with his girlfriend, and he lives in a world where superheroes exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a there's like a Justice League esque group called the Seven, um, and they and they are they are literally kind of like carbon copies of the Justice League. There's like a Superman character and a Wonder Woman character, so on and so forth. Well, Huey's on the street with his girlfriend, and they're in love, and they're holding hands <laughs> until his girlfriend is smashed to bits <gasps> in the most brutal way possible by the A-Train, who is <laughs> who is, who is uh, the equivalent of the Flash in that universe. And the and Huey, and it happens in slow motion. You just like you just hear this like, and you hit this this big crack, and then Huey's face is covered in blood, and he's hit with bones. And he looks down at his hand. He looks down at his hands, and he's still holding his girlfriend's hands. No, 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 no. That's how the show. Well, that's not technically how the show starts, but it's towards the beginning of the show. So you know, right out of the gate, dear lord, we got guts. This ain't your grandma's superheroes here, okay? Um. He was then recruited by a man named Billy Butcher, um, played by Carl Urban, uh, who basically is like, I want to hunt down and kill the Seven. He's like, and I know that you were affected by this. I want to know, are you down? And at first, Huey is not, but over the course of the season, he he ends up um, falling in line as they as they kind of collect the um the members of this group they never officially could call themselves the boys in the comic book from what i understand um which shameless plug for comiXology because there it's it's half off the entire series is half off on on comiXology um in the comic they are like a government sanctioned like black ops group um who go after all superheroes but they have a special truce with the seven in the TV show, however, they are they are completely off the grid. They're not government sanctioned. They and they go directly for the seven. Okay. Um, it is it's incredible. It's like everything everything that you you know that you know about superheroes. It puts them in a very like realistic setting, almost similar to what you would see in like the Watchmen. I was gonna ask um, how it compares to something like Watchmen. Well, it'd be like the Watchmen if everybody had superpowers, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and they live in a world where it's like it. They live in a world like it's today, where if superheroes were around, they'd be like, "Oh, like you're so good, you're so great." But these superheroes are so commercialized; Whoa. they feel like they can do whatever they want. Um, even, even going so far as there's one character named the deep who is based off of Aquaman. Um, they apparently toned down this scene. Um, but he more or less sexually assaults this, this, the new recruit, um, that's just joined the seven. Yes. Um, and it becomes a huge talking point in the, in the show. And I think, and to me it was, uh, I, I thought it was, it sounded very, very tastefully um it wasn't necessarily like glamorizing it was more of like this is a big f you 
um, to anyone with power that feels like you can get away with something like that. Yeah. Um, because they, because the whole reason he does it, he's like, he's like, well, I'm famous. No one's gonna do anything to me. I'm, you know, I'm a superhero. You know, I can do whatever I want to whoever I want. Um, and then when he's exposed, he loses everything. Dang. Um, there is a character. Um, he's the big bad of the series, um, named the Homelander. Is that the, like is, the Superman character? Yes. This dude, excuse me, Mrs. Key, is bat as crazy. <laughs> okay. He is like, I mean, he has all of Superman's powers. So he is the strongest. He cannot be hurt. He cannot be killed. And he has a personal connection with Billy the Butcher, Billy Butcher's uh, character because don't I don't want to know. Things happened with Billy's wife, and it ended up in her death. I said I didn't want to know, but it's oh, I, I'm I look I'm not telling you any. You're I'm not the telling worst you the big for the bits. spoilers. I, not it's not a spoiler. You literally you literally find it out in the first two seconds that that's why he's going after the Homelander. Okay. You literally find no, and there's a much, much bigger spoiler. That okay, I'm like then let's move on before you say. spill that. They, um, the the whole series, right? The whole series is absolutely phenomenal. It's so well done. It's so well acted. Um, it's only eight episodes long, and each episode is thirty minutes. In all honesty, they they earn the right to go a full hour. Right. With their stories. And the fact that they're able to tell their story in 30 minutes, to me, says a lot. That they're able to tell, like, a complete season, we're going to do it 30 minutes apiece, and we're only going to do it with eight episodes. That's because telling. When, when you get to the season to the season finale, which completely deviates from the comics. So that's, so that's another reason why, like, I'm stressing, like, the comic book portion... Because even if you're, if even if you've read the comic before, it's different. Because I read what's supposed to happen, and I was like, "Oh, this is a lot more interesting." Um, yeah, I just, mm, I would just say, I would, I would, I would say, Lindley. Although I shouldn't say anything because uh, you did not warn me about certain scenes in Outlander. We've talked about certain scenes on the show. Uh, like I said, you did not warn me about Outlander. We will and certain we'll, scenes. We'll have to talk about that after the show. Uh huh. But I will say, just you know, eat lightly. <laughs> Don't eat during during the boys. I'll oh say Lord. that. <laughs> oh there's some there's some rough parts, some rough ones. Mom, you won't like this show. Yeah, Miss, this is not for you. This is not for you. Mr. Key? Eh, no. Eh, there's no cowboys. <laughs> hey, I will say... <laughs> you I said that say, was a prerequisite. What, you said he liked cowboys. No, and I will say, I remember when we, we were talking about Zombie Lane, Double Tap, and he messaged me, because I said, like, I don't know if he's seen Zombie Lane. He messaged me, like, thanks for the shout out. And yeah, I saw Zombie Land. My dad does not sound like that. Why did I just talk like that when I'm talking? I was about to say, why? My dad, my <laughs> why do you dad have is this, the type. Like, I adore my dad. Southern. I adore my dad. But my dad likes to put R 
in words where there is no R. Like if he's washing the dishes, he is washing the dishes. He's from the South, Winley. He can do what he wants, okay? He, that, that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's also my dad, so I'm like, huh, all right. <laughs> I say that with all the love in my heart. Oh, God. Um, I have one more movie review for you guys. Last one. I got, I got a chance to see two movies, um, even Ooh. though I was like dying during this movie not because it was bad but because my head was hurting oh no Uh, i got a chance to see once upon a time in hollywood how was it it's definitely my top tier quentin tarantino movies Ooh, okay not not my favorite but this movie is definitely uh definitely one of those i'll say this it's like Inglorious Bastards. Take that as you will. See, that that's my favorite Tarantino. See, if you like that, you'll like this. Because um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, while there is this subplot about, um, excuse me, about Charles Manson mm-hmm. and the Manson family murders, um, specifically with, um, I don't want to say her name wrong. Is it Sharon or Shannon? Was Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate, um, especially concerning Sharon Tate, um, because she lives next door to the main character. Uh, but this is really about the end of the golden age of Hollywood. And it it is just a love letter to that side of film and that part of, of cinematic history. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio... Um, plays uh this this aging actor named rick dalton who is kind of wa- he's washed up um, he's washed he makes, up he's war yeah he's washed up <laughs> uh he made a bad decision um as far as he was on a hit tv show and then he tries to make it in film and of mm. course the film flops and so he's trying to make his comeback but because there are younger actors now, he is pretty much just, um, he's pretty much just, he's the heavy, um, which is the person who, the lead actor, who's the, like a recognizable face, who gets beat up. Um, which I, I found very fascinating because it's a very, um, you get something like that in professional wrestling mm-hmm. um, with called a jobber, you know, like there's somebody who's built up to do the job, to be beaten up by the bigger, younger guy so that you can elevate him so that the audience will get behind him. Yeah. Um, so I found it interesting that, you know, I don't know if they do it so much nowadays, um, but to see it back then was very fascinating to me. Um, you have Brad Pitt's character who is, he's not like, he's he's not a, like a, He's not like a serious character. Like he's he's very much like the the uh, Sancho Panza of of this Don Quixote story. <laughs> oh my god, that's what this movie is. It's Don Quixote. Is it really? It really is. <laughs> it really is. Um, we just have an epiphany live realized. on the air. <laughs> I just I just realized that. Um, but yeah, he's because he's just kind of his sidekick um, who basically does everything for him because you find out that Leo, Leo's character is, he's just a drunk. 
So he can't drive himself or take care of himself. So Brad Pitt's character, who is his his stunt double, who can't get work either because he killed his wife. um, Oh, it was by accident. You, Again, from what you can tell. Spoilers with the dead wives. It's literally in the first couple of minutes. It's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. Stephen, would you consider that a spoiler? Um, what is a spoiler? A spoiler is. I mean, I mean, okay. Would you say it's a major plot point, Marcus? No. Then probably not, but do proceed with caution. Yeah, okay. So anyways, the <laughs> wife is dead, <laughs> and that's Jeez. why he can't get work. Um, He, I, I don't know what, I don't know how to describe his character. Oh, the reason why he's there is because he's the one who leads you to figuring out more about the, the Manson family. Um he keeps seeing like he keeps seeing them like all around like while he's doing like menial tasks for for Leonardo DiCaprio's character and he ends up having this hilarious hilarious fight um to close out the to close out the 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 movie and i'm not going to tell you how it ends because apparently I give away spoilers, but I I was literally dying the entire time because it was it's completely unexpected, and the best part is if you go on Wikipedia, get this right. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. They have put a false ending on Wikipedia on purpose. Really. Because I looked after the movie, I said, I kind of want to know, like, I'm like, because I wanted to, because, you know, Wikipedia is good if you want to know, like, if there's a post credit scene. Yeah. So I looked at it, and I'm reading the end, and I said, wait a minute, this is not the end of the movie. And then I looked up an article where it was like, there was people in Quentin Tarantino's camp that were like, I don't want people to spoil the ending, because it's bonkers. So I'm going to I'm going to hire people to constantly tweak the Wikipedia page and change it so that nobody will know what the true ending is. That's actually kind of brilliant. Yes, because apparently because like according to Wikipedia, uh, Sharon Tate's supposed to be like doing Kung Fu with Bruce Lee fighting Charles Manson and his family. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The actual ending is actually crazier than than the false ending. That's the thing. <laughs> it's very it's very good. It comes out of it comes out of left field. Um, but Leo does Leo. There's a scene with Leo. Um, again, not spoiling anything. There's a scene with Leo that just. I mean it. It was it was wonderful. It was probably some of the best acting I've ever seen him do. Um, I think he I think he just you, you know you see it with like with him and Scorsese. I think Leo, when he feels comfortable with a director, it just takes him to new heights. Because um, you saw it in Django Unchained, um, in that kind of like that uh, the dinner scene right when he cuts his hand. 
um, mm-hmm. and he's having that wonderful monologue with uh, 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 Jamie Foxx's character. Um, he has this wonderfully, wonderfully acted scene um, after he's like kind of psyched himself up, and I mean, I, it literally like brought tears to my eyes because I was like, "You, bro, I don't know why it took you so long to win an uh, an Oscar because you're amazing. You're amazing, and this movie proves it." So go see it, especially if you are a Tarantino fan or even if you just love film history. It's not, like I said, thinking Glorious Bastards. <laughs> Those of okay. you who are Tarantino fans, you will know what I'm talking about. But just go see it. It's worth it. It's, it's, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It, you know what? It's up there. It's definitely up there. It might be one of my top favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Y'all, we have uh, a new segment to kind of close out the show this time. Uh, A mailbag segment where we are going to read questions from you guys. Now, these might just be topics that we got from from our Facebook group page, which you are more than welcome to join. Um, We have lots of lively discussions there. Um... Uh, and we've also gotten some questions uh, from our Facebook, um, our Facebook page proper, and as well as Instagram. Uh, now, Lindley, you posted something on on uh, the Facebook group page. Yeah. Something something bothered you. Um, speaking of Outlander. Speaking speaking of Outlander, and I'm I'm so glad that Marcus is now part of the the clan. So we can it's so good. I'm obsessed now. <laughs> I and I'm so happy about that. But um, for those of you who don't know, Outlander is shown on Stars, and Stars just got bought by Sony Pictures, and so there there are new people in charge, and you know things are being restructured. And at a press conference, I'm not sure exactly what it was for, but the COO, Jeffrey Hirsch, was talking about um, the female, the, the majority female demographic that Stars has gotten, not just from Outlander, but from things like Sweet Bitter and uh, The Spanish Princess, that, that whole trilogy there. And this is coming from, I'll, I'll just read what he said. This is coming from The Hollywood Reporter. And I'm also taking this from a an article uh, that Blake Larson has written on Outlander Cast, which if you don't know what that is, please go check it out. I write for it. It's awesome. Um, he says, Outlander, you can say that it's because women like it because she's a surgeon who goes back in time. But there's another side of that, which is there's some eye candy for the audience and people like when he, Sam Hewen, takes his shirt off. You have to be really thoughtful about when you're looking at a piece of content and whether it's really going to be female or not. It's not easy. What? And so, and and he described the the fan base of Outlander and a lot of shows like these as being for the premium woman. And the way he defines a premium woman is someone between like 
20, 20s to 50s-esque ages. And he's gotten a lot of backlash for these statements. And, you know, he's, he said some scenes like, oh, well, if you try to, you know, turn, turn it around and look at it like this. And to quote uh, the, the person that wrote this article, Blake Larson, nope, still a dumpster fire. That, you know, that really sounds like someone who is just surrounded by, like, statistics boards all day. And has been stuck in there so long that he's forgotten what it means to human. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, I feel like that really does. I mean, that sounds very insulting to the audience. It it really does. And and, and I can see where... He's coming from with these comments because the marketing does push the whole almost, you know, romance novel elements of Outlander with, oh, here's the hot Scott. Here's the woman out of time. You know, oh, look, he's got a shirt off with the kilt. But I believe Diana Gabaldon, the author of Outlander, put it best. Well, I don't know, Jeffrey. At the moment, I've got 30 I've got 30 plus million books in print in 42 countries. I get a lot of mail. I can't say oh, and I can't say I see a lot of people talking about Jamie with his shirt off unless it's mentioning the shock and poignancy of his scars. Because if you hmm. don't know this about Jamie's character, this isn't a spoiler, Marcus, but in the first season it's discovered that Wait a minute, order. hold on a second now. Why are you coming at me with these spoilers? I've literally, I've literally never spoiled anything without warning ahead of time that there's a spoiler. Anyways, you find out that uh, okay. Jamie has these these horrific scars on his back from where he was whipped by um, British soldiers. And so, like, yeah, he takes his shirt off a lot, but it's also when you know, people in his clan are trying to show, like, this is what the British do. Take a look at that. And so it it's kind of insulting, especially for a fan of this show and this series, to be like, oh, I just watch it for the eye candy. And I joke about, you know, being, you know, being a fan of Sam Hewen. And yes, it does have those elements, but that's not what makes this show great. It's not just, oh... Claire, Claire's a nurse. It's no, she's a strong female character. She has her flaws, but she's 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 a bad a. Yeah, I'm not gonna say that but, word because I know <laughs> I'm almost podcast. Um, but also, you know, Lindley. I mean, even if you did like, even if you did like watching this show because of Sam Hewen taking his shirt off, who cares? Exactly. I mean, it's it's like. It's like, 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 oh, so women don't like looking at men. Mm-hmm. Women don't like sex. Like, it, I feel like it's a very, like, close-minded thing to say that, you know, they, I mean, and, and, to, and to make Outlander seem like it's nothing more than just, I don't know, just porn, essentially. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's not. It's lady porn. Right. Um, I mean, but, like, but he's also insinuating that 
this is the this is the only kind of show a premium woman would watch like Mm. this is premium women watch these kind of shows be like no i mean i am in this premium woman bracket that he's describing of being of 24 to 54 Mm -hmm. i'm in that bracket yes i love outlander but i also like game of thrones i like stuff like what you're mentioning the boys i like a lot of horror stuff it's not as niche as you think it is jeffrey no, it, I mean, it really, it really isn't. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the show. All right, I've, I've become a really big fan of the show. Um, and I mean, I, I wouldn't say that like, I'm necessarily the target audience, um, as a 30 year old black male. Um, he probably thinks like, like there's no black males that probably watch Outlander. I do. It's probably be um, like, oh, he's watching Power. Be like, right? It, no, it, he's watching Outlander. Exactly. It's it, it's it's that idea that because of your sex, your gender, um, your race, you you obviously must watch this show and nothing else. Or you watch that show and nothing else. Um, instead of just thinking like, let's try to make a show that like is open to everybody. You know, and and there are parts in Outlander, especially in these later seasons, I'm noticing um, that do nod to other groups, um, whether it is to uh, different sexualities, different races. Um, mm-hmm. It does. I feel like as much as it's for women, um, there are some there's a lot of good things in here that talks about you know toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, that I'm just like, wow, that's that's pretty good, and. It's it's it says something to them to put that in a show that's a period piece where you yeah. know those conversations weren't being had, yeah. But they put it in such a way that it's realistic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll close with I'll do two quotes. I'll do one another from this article by Blake Larson, which again, go read it yourself. Go check out Outlander Cast and read this article because he did a fantastic job. And then I also wanted to share a comment from one of our listeners. And so Blake says, instead of leaning into the premium female and leveraging their loyalty, how about you lean into making good content because it's good? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love, I love, love, love that quote. And then we also got some comments because I posted this article um, in our Film Talk podcast group on Facebook. Shameless plug. Uh, but Anne-Marie um, has says, I think it's a disservice to the actors and the writers. Sam's performance as Jamie is much more than his naked scenes. The nuance and the details of his performance is what keeps me obsessed. And she also agrees that uh, Diana Gabaldon had a perfect response. Hey, Anne-Marie. So, hi, Anne-Marie. Thank you for your comment. And I totally agree with you. And yes, Anne-Marie, I agree with you every t- every time. I see the Duke of Sandringham. I am also reminded of the 2004 Phantom of the Opera movie. <laughs> I just realized yes. that's where I recognized him from. <laughs> the Duke of Sandringham is into scrap metal. Actually. Yes. <laughs> I I literally, I just remember. I I watched it the other day and I was like, where do I know this guy from? Phantom <laughs> of the Opera. He's also he's uh, also Charles Dickens on uh, Doctor Who. Ah, I didn't see that. Um. I have here uh, another mailbag question. 
um, from Jason. I'm, I'm, I, forgive me if I get your last name wrong. Um, Satek. Hi, Jason. Yes. Hi, Jason. Uh, what are your thoughts as to the possibility of superhero fatigue? Also, the chances that the MCU ever reboots. I'd like to take this one. Because go ahead. here's what I realized when I went to go see Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. That new movie, um, The Kitchen, mm-hmm. um, starring uh, um, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Tiffany Haddish, and I forget her name. She was in Us. Uh, it'll hit me. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Um, mm-hmm. She, all, that movie, did you know that's based off a comic book? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. And here's the thing. There's a lot of movies that are like that, that are based off of comic books that don't center around superheroes. Here is my theory. Eventually, they will go, they will move away from superheroes. Yeah. But I don't think they're necessarily going to move away from comic books because, again... You didn't know that that was a comic book until I just said something. No. I didn't know it was a comic book until I saw the DC Vertigo symbol at the beginning of the bumper. Oh. And I was like, wait, what? So, I mean, we forget, we forget that there are a lot of stories that people have made comic books about that are not about Batman. They're not about Superman or Iron Man or the Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or any of these guys. Um, I I do think that eventually they're going to just do comic book stories that don't necessarily have anything to do with superheroes. Um, and personally, I think that's a smart idea. Um, we do it already with books. And the thing is, is that if you're choosing a comic book that not everybody knows about, you're just exposing them to a whole new world. Um, I did talk to my friend about the MCU uh, reboots, and then I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, I did talk to my friend about the MCU reboots. I thought of a way that they could reboot the MCU if they wanted to. Um, and it's about Captain America. Because t- technically speaking, right, based on endgame logics as far as time travel goes, um, if the the second Captain America might have stayed or could have stayed in an in a alternate timeline and then showed back up at the end of the of the movie of Endgame. Right, where he passes off the shield to Sam. But here's the thing with that. That timeline that he stayed in, that timeline is completely screwed up because chances are that's the timeline with the scepter and the tesseract. Because the scepter is the thing that messes everything up. Yeah. Right? Because without the scepter, you don't have Ultron. You don't have Scarlet Witch. You don't have Vision. You don't have Thor finding out the you know, looking for Thanos and the stones and, and all that good stuff. A lot of stuff gets messed up. And if Captain America is, nev- is not there, if he's not awakened, then guess what? 
Captain America never gets unthawed, which means there's no civil war. He's which, still a capsicle. Exactly. Which also means that when Thanos shows up on Earth, guess what? He's not fighting against, like, a whole bunch of individual superheroes. He's fighting against a whole team of Avengers. Mm-hmm. So, if they ever did want to reboot it, all they have to do is go to that timeline. Sim- easy, simple. The audience understands it because we've already seen it and you've already explained it to us. Done. Mic dropped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a. I think it's better than than just like time. Tra- like, well, you still do time travel, but it's like an alternate timeline. Yeah. You can explain away everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you guys? Superhero fatigue? When's it going to happen? When are we going to start getting like a, a, a musical every three months? Well, I mean, for me personally, I was fatigued a long time ago. But this is kind of what I think, actually. I feel like we've kind of surpassed this idea of superhero fatigue. I almost feel like superhero movies have kind of become the mainstay norm, you know, uh, like their own genre, uh, specifically genre of action um, that um, I think might be here to stay for quite a while. Um, and I, and I say this because most studios keep trying to, or at least definitely Warner Brothers was trying this, uh, to jump in on the game too, on the latest trend. Uh, and for the most part, you know, I mean, they made money, but you know, it was kind of mixed, uh, with the DC movies and, um, I'm kind of blanking on a good analogy here for this, but, uh, like, okay. In the, in the nineties, you had disaster movies, Right. Yeah. So you had like this revival of disaster movies and that I would almost consider like a trend or a fad that really kind of went away after a while because, you know, we our tastes kind of moved on. And uh, only in the last few years have we seen an attempt at resurrecting the disaster movies, but they're definitely not as good because mm-hmm. um, yeah, the they just rely on the effects. The days right? of good role. Um Roland Emmerich films, if there ever truly yes. was one, have passed. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, but I think the fallacy is kind of comparing superhero movies as that kind of fad. I feel like there was a fad of superhero movies at one time in the early 2000s, um, you know, all the way up until probably Spider-Man 3, you definitely had that early age renaissance of comic book movies, uh, but then something changed. Batman Begins and yep. The Dark Knight and Marvel got started. And at that time, Marvel was still technically part of that group, but it was clear that they also had their sights on something bigger. And what they've done is they fundamentally revolutionized the way, uh, as much as it pains me to say this, how films are made. Um, because it's no longer about, you know, planning out a trilogy of interconnected movies or a five-part series of movies. Now it's about a whole universe of films. So it's almost like the genre of superhero movies, that's almost like a pedestrian thing to comment on at this point. The idea of interconnected movies 
from all over the place now, I feel like that is here to stay. Yeah. And it's not going away. Um, so as far as like superhero movies themselves, I, I, I mean, I think it's always going to continue to evolve. I mean, we've seen the evolution in our lifetime when we went from, you know, Tim Burton's Batman movies, taking risks, but not really following the comics really that much at all, uh, to uh, the death of that era with the Schumacher Batman movies, uh, and then the resurrection with Spider-Man and X-Men, and then the death of that era with Spider-Man 3 and uh, some other movies. And I, I, I feel like the genre itself keeps evolving, but, like, the storytelling format, I think that's here to stay. And I don't think that's ever going away, personally. Well, it's too much money. <laughs> it makes, it yeah, exactly. Money. Yeah. <laughs> We're rolling to the dough, yo! No. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, they own pretty much everything, so of yeah. course they are. Uh, although, did, although, did you hear that apparently Dark Phoenix hurt their earnings this year no really surprise surprise (laughs) i literally told you it was just me and two other people in the theater (laughs) 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 like that that should not have been a shock to you you're like okay that me that checks out (laughs) yeah no like they released their quarterly earnings and they made a lot like make no mistake i mean they had the avengers movie they had um, Captain Marvel. Oh God, what else did they have? Yeah, they had a bunch of yeah. stuff. But what kind of stopped their earnings from making more progress was Dark Phoenix. And now I'm totally convinced that Fox knew that. And so they made the worst movie they could as like a big <laughs> middle finger to Disney. <laughs> I'll allow uh, it. Uh, but yes. Any thoughts on chances the MC ever reboots? Or do we just keep moving on to the next big thing? I mean, there's always a chance of rebooting, but I feel like that's not going to be anytime soon. Does it need to reboot, really? I mean, well, it's going I mean, to for money's sake. It doesn't need to. Need to yeah, it doesn't need it'll, to. It'll evolve. That's what it'll well, do. It, it always evolves. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we, I mean, we've only scratched the surface of their library of superheroes. We haven't even touched, like... All of them. <laughs> I mean, they only did, you know, the biggies. And even then, at the time, they weren't even the biggies. No. I think whenever it, be- it stops becoming lucrative mm. and fans really do kind of be like, okay, I, wanna, I want something else, they'll probably back off for a while mm. and retool it. But I almost kind of wonder if it needs to be, you know... Uh, rebooted at any point because I mean usually franchises that stay around this long they make at least that one shark jumping moment where it's like even the fans are like okay this is not cool Um, but every time you think Marvel's done that they don't like I mean they they just keep evolving with the the tastes you know Uh, like I feel like there was a definite turning point uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, mm-hmm. it was is very different from what came before, and uh, there's been definite turning points since then. Um, and the Wasp. In terms of it, and I, yeah, and I feel like 
if they keep evolving like that and same goes for dc you know they're slowly learning how to evolve with the tastes and not just run for gimmicks you know um there probably won't need to be a reason to uh reboot uh so much as just you know retool it and reconfigure it Lily, got anything? Uh, no, I really think everything's been said. Gotcha. You had one. You had one more question, though. Uh, yes, it is from. It's from Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey Dave. Dave. And uh, it's not really a question. He just he has a need, what? and that need is he wants to hear more about animated films. Seriously. <laughs> Dave, I love you. <laughs> so I think Stephen should take this one. Uh, Stephen, can you recommend us? Can you recommend and and a great animated feature to Dave besides Mountain of the Gods? Which is I have not forgotten y'all. <laughs> it's just I got to paint all those backgrounds myself and animate it. It and, takes and, time, people. It takes a village. And I got to do three dimensional tracking animation, which is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um well, you know what? Let's let's um Ah oh man, animated movies of 2019. I got to be honest, I feel like you know a lot of the uh, animated films uh that come out um are either aimed at little kids or they're coming from other countries. Now that's not to say that we haven't seen some good ones this year. I loved Toy Story 4. Um, I thought that was a great animated film and, um, that would really just kind of be my big thing here is with American movies, most of them have been, uh, CG, um, animated movies, uh, not really like hand drawn. Um, I, I hear you, Dave, and I absolutely agree. And I'm going to make it my personal mission in the future to bring more animated film reviews to you. Because I've just been really busy this summer. He's, he's a busy man. But I love animation films. I love uh, hand-drawn animation. Like, work. okay, working on Mountain of the Gods has really um, fine-tuned my appreciation for the art uh, of hand-drawn animation because I had to learn it myself. And, like, the amount of uh, teamwork that has to go into drawing just like a single shot of a movie is incredible. And, you know, that's, you know, that that's another reason why I get kind of uh, uh, miffed at like the Lion King remake and other remakes that just do a shot for shot of an original animated feature is because it's like the original took so much time and effort just to put one particular shot together and all they had to go off were storyboards uh, this movie, on the other hand, they've already got a completely made movie, so it's like half the effort. You know, you just need a team of visual effects artists. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to say it's not hard to do CG movies, but there is something, and I don't want to sound like an old person and say there's something more pure about hand-drawn, Um but there is something very unique and I think a little bit more um, takes a little more effort, I would say, 
uh, in hand-drawn. Mm-hmm. So, not to knock CG movies, we've gotten some great ones, like, okay, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. That one, you know, it was CG, but they gave it a very definitive style that really kind of mimics hand-drawn animation really well. And uh, I really, like, okay, y'all kept telling me I needed to see it, and I would love it. Um, and y'all were right. I do love that movie. Um, the visual style being one of the main things, but the story and the characters are great, too. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Dave, that's my personal mission. I'm going to find an animated film and review it soon. Might I recommend... Um, there's a new film coming out. You, you, you probably haven't seen the series yet, but My Hero Academia. Angry Birds 2. Yeah, that's the that's what exactly what I was gonna say. Um, my hero academia. Um, pass. My hero academia is <laughs> the new movie. Um, that mm-hmm. series is phenomenal, and I've noticed that a lot more anime is going the route of hand drawn stuff. Um, oh, and yeah. like trying to keep that alive because I mean you think about those old school anime. You know, you think about like Akira or something, or Cowboy Bebop or Gundam Wing. Those are all hand drawn, um, and it shows. Oh, yeah. And there's just, you, and you're right. There's a different quality to it when it's hand drawn, and it just looks, it looks grittier. It just looks better. Yeah. Well, and okay, you know, not to keep plugging Mountain of the Gods. Plug, 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 plug. Um, but one of the things, because I do have to use CG models in it. Uh, But one of my things with CG is like, you know, I'd worked on a project before, Joshua Bailey and the Island of Death, where I had all these CG characters. And at the time, I was kind of like, you know, it's it's fine. It's passable. I'm not really putting that much effort into this project. But one thing stuck out about me with CGI, it's like you're aware there is nothing actually there. You know, it's not like you could just reach out and touch something because it's just as it's just a cg model with hand-drawn um you do feel almost as if that is even though it's drawn and it's cartoons moving someone had to actually physically draw that and color it maybe they colored it digitally but there is something physically there and that's why with mountain of the gods i decided okay when i'm making these 3d models i'm going to give them watercolor textures because that at least serves as like a bridge between uh, physical feeling and just there's obviously nothing there. You know, I have to feel like I could almost reach out and touch it. Um, and like I said, I'm not trying to knock CGI. I think done well, it can be really good. It's just there is a there is a grand um, non-appreciation for hand-drawn stuff a lot of times and I think it's because a lot of people kind of consider it something more for kids even though you know if you watch something like Akira or Cowboy Bebop it's obvious that these are not always for kids Um, and you can actually tell really great emotional stories with the art and with the media so I will, you said it's called My Hero Academia? Yeah, uh, My Hero Academia, um, the, they, it has a series, but this is apparently like the, uh, the movie's gonna serve as, I don't know if it's like the, the finale for the manga, or the finale for the series, I'm not quite sure exactly how they're telling the story, but, um, it's getting a lot of hype, 
and a lot of people are excited about it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I will take that challenge. Yeah. Uh, I like this new segment. I do I too. Like, I like the way ending the show. We should do it again. I, I agree. I think we're going to, I think it is here to stay. Woo! Um, audience, Woo! we have, though, we have reached the end of our show. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to us. We hope you enjoy the new format. Let us know, especially in the uh, Film Talk group, let us know um, what you guys think about putting the reviews first because um, we decided to try something a little differently. Um, and then also ending with the, the mailbag. I think the mailbag should stay here, though. I think it should close. I like mailbag at the end. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like then we're, like we're all able to talk because otherwise it's like, you know, like tonight it would have just it would have just been me. Um, and that's no fun. That's no fun for everybody. We want, <laughs> no. we want it to be fun for everybody. Um, but if you want to talk individually with us, uh, you can. Um, Stephen, where can the folks at home reach you? All right, folks at home. It's been a few weeks since I've advertised this, <laughs> but I have to retool my Twitter just because. All right. Uh, I'll still post stuff about movie stuff, don't worry. But I wanted to kind of make it a little more low-key. I am the English guy on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there at St. Albrey. See what I did there? I used my middle name. Yes, yes. Uh, you can follow my blogger post, or blogspot post, just called baileysfilmworkshop.blogspot.com. I talk about the filmmaking process. I am about halfway through the process, describing the process on writing a script. And um, it's uh, it's pretty good for anyone who is interested in becoming a filmmaker or just wants to get started figuring out the process. That's the blog for you. You can also follow my YouTube channel, uh, Bailey's Film Workshop. Just type it in, find it, click subscribe button. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that is, that is it. Lindley, where can the folks at home reach you? Folks at home, you can find me a few different places now. I'm kind of all over the spectrum here. Um, my main source for me and myself and my cosplays and all that good stuff um, is going to be on Instagram at Little Lottie. That is little L-O-T-T-I-E, one word. Uh, working on some cosplays. Uh, Claire, I think, is all set. Just, I have to work on the hair. Because they just announced Outlander's coming to New York Comic Con. What? Uh, so that's happening. I'm working on a Sarah cosplay from Labyrinth. That's going to be fun. But you can also find me a few different places. I mentioned earlier uh, talking about the... Um, the premium woman um, talked about Outlander cast. I am writing for Outlander cast. I do a segment called Sassanac Spotlight. So if you are an Outlander fan like Marcus and I are, and you feel like you have a story to share, if you have, if Outlander has inspired you creatively, please um, go check them out. Check out the blog um, and apply to be spotlighted on Sassanac Spotlight. You can also find me on the total different side of the spectrum i am now part of the social media team for universal monsters universe uh doing a lot of different things there i just published my first article for them talking about the monsters possibly coming back to universal studios permanently um i did i did my first unboxing today mm -hmm. i've never done an unboxing video before but i did one 
for them because I love the guys at Universal Monsters Universe. Uh, and there's some exciting things coming up. We just hit 2,000 um, followers on Instagram. Nice. So big things. Uh, we've got a lot of giveaways coming. So if you're a monster lover like I am of the OG monsters, uh, go go check us out. Go follow us. And you don't want to miss what we've got coming up. <laughs> and, of course, folks at home, you can uh, listen to me on a variety of different places. Uh, you can also talk to me on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. I don't post that much, um, but I'm on it. Uh, you can also hit me up on our Film Talk group. Uh, you can hear me on Not So Famous with Mitchell Hansen. I haven't been on it in a while, um, but Mitchell is he is chugging along. Uh, he just put out a new episode, so if you haven't checked out Not So Famous, I highly I highly recommend that you go listen to it because my man does a wonderful job over there. Um, I am currently in production with a couple of different um, audio dramas. Uh, one just had its season finale with Continuum Force. Um, that just had its uh, season finale. Um, and then there's two that are in production right now. Uh, one is The Adventures of Beauty and the Beast, where I played the Beast slash Henri. <gasps> Henri. Um, Henri. And I'm also in an audio drama musical called Garbage Town. Um, which is pretty good. And actually, uh, I just submitted my sides and they just put together my song. So I'm going to actually let these two listen to it once we're done oh. recording. Cause I, oh, I wasn't, boy. cause I had no, I haven't posted on, on Facebook. <laughs> cause I was like, I've been too scared, but I'm gonna let you guys listen <laughs> to it. Cause y'all are awesome. Um, and I think that is about it. That is everything Woo! I'm doing. Um, so Yes. Uh, audience, like I said, we have had a wonderful time with y'all, but it is getting late. School is upon us again. Um, I know some of y'all probably don't, you're probably wondering what I'm talking about, but we started school early, um, because, you know, education is for the kids. That's what I have to keep telling myself. It's for the kids. Um, <laughs> we have had a lovely time with you guys, but we are getting out of here. So... Before we leave, I leave you with this. From all of us to all of you, we wish you peace, love, and tranquility. You all take care now. Make your choices. You're killing me, Smalls. Turn the beat.